Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. So today we're going to be talking about bone ingestion. Now there's lots of different problems that can be caused by bone ingestion, uh, but some, some dogs do just fine. They don't have any issues at all. Let's say like Sarah's dogs, her dogs have no problems. They'll eat a bone. I don't know, like almost every day I think they eat bones, but they don't have any issues with bones. Brisket also probably wouldn't have any issues with bones because like he eats everything and everything passes. But if you gave a bone to Nora, now she would have massive diarrhea for like a week straight. It'd be terrible. Like Great Dane diarrhea is terrible. But what are the other things that could potentially go wrong with this? So the most common thing that we end up seeing is that they get a bone lodged around the bottom jaw, so the mandible. And most of the time you're going to get a phone call, like Jen gets a phone call and says, the owner says, hey, my dog has a bone stuck around their mouth. Most of the time these owners are panicking. They don't know how to get that bone off of the dog's jaw. And they shouldn't. They should come in so that we can sedate the dog to be able to get the bone off their jaw. The more that they fight, the more swelling that's going to occur in their jaw and in that lip area. And we want to make sure we're able to get that bone off without breaking their jaw, without breaking their teeth. So they come in and let's say Tia goes and grabs them and says, hey, is it okay if we get an approval for sedation to be able to take this bone off? That's one super easy step. If you just get an approval beforehand, we know that that's the step we're going to have to take. So get an approval you know, have them sedated. And then um, most of the time you can actually like slip that bone off. So it's usually those round ones with a hole in the center that gets stuck. So a lot of times you can just slip that bone off, even just by putting some lube right where it meets, like the bone meets the jaw. And they'll actually slip off pretty easily when you do that. Very, very rarely have I had to get out some sort of cutting mechanism to be able to get it off. And the concerns with those things are like, if you do have to cut them, like let's say you have to use the, like the big pin cutters to be able to cut them. Now, if you use that, you're risking breaking their jaw. Or if you have to use the, the saw to be able to cut it off, you're risking, you know, cutting their jaw instead. So like I said, I, I've literally not had a single one that I have had to do that I've had to get some other mechanism to be able to get it off. I've gotten 100% of them off just by slipping them off. Maybe I need to use more lube than usual, but usually that's enough to be able to get them off. Other things that we have to worry about with our bone ingestions is going to be what happens if there are shards of bone. The most common things that are going to cause shards of bone are going to be like cooked chicken bones or cooked bones in general when they when they chew on them they break off these shards and then that can go into let's say in the mouth like those shards can go into the tongue they can cut the cheek they can cut their hard palate so that's the hard portion of the top of your mouth their hard palate Um, and usually those just cause some bleeding in the the mouth usually not a big deal Now, when it goes past the mouth and we have shards, now we have bigger issues that occur. So if those shards of bone go, let's say, through the esophagus, so your food pipe, and it pushes into the esophagus and even through the trachea, like it'll puncture through there, that can actually cause a perforation or puncture into other organs. And when it punctures through the esophagus, um, that's not good. 
We have lots of changes of air pressure when we do that. If it punctures into the trachea, then we can have bleeding and air into the trachea. Um, just That's just not a good thing that we have happen. So if it gets stuck, so like let's say the owner calls in and is like, my dog is choking on this because the most common thing is they're going to be coughing, attempting to get it out. Then they do have to bring that dog down immediately for us to put them under anesthesia and attempt to take it out. If it is like a shard that's stuck in the esophagus, then most of the time we have to do endoscopy. So we put the camera down their mouth into their throat so we can be able to find that and hopefully pull it out. Our big concerns with that though is when we pull that bone out, there's a chance that they die almost like instantly. Uh, you can ask Dr. K about his case that he had. I don't think it was a bone. I think it was a treat that was in there for a while. But, you know, that's what happens is we run that risk of like if there's something stuck in that esophagus and we pull that thing out and it's perforated or penetrated into the thoracic cavity or into the chest, there is a chance that when we pull it out, they die instantly. Not a good outcome, right? So ideally, we don't have to go through that. But let's say we do, you know, our best bet is like we just have to talk to the owners and say, hey, there's a chance that if I pull this out, that they could potentially die under anesthesia. But if we don't pull it out, they will definitely die. So we have to go in and try to pull it out. That's only if it's shards of things. Sometimes you can actually like push things into from the esophagus into the stomach as well. As long as there's no like big shards of things um, I've definitely done that when things get really sticky and really difficult to be able to get out. But pull that bone out or push it into the stomach either way. And then let's say it's in the stomach. So ideally the dog ate the bone, it passed through the esophagus, there's no signs of the dog choking, and now it's in the stomach. What do we do next? Well, if the owner calls in and starts talking you know, to one of the receptionists, um, is like, hey, Mariah, my dog ate a bone. Um, should I bring it in to make it vomit? No, they should not bring it in to make it vomit. There's no reason to do that. We already took a gamble that that bone was going to pass from the mouth into the esophagus and into the stomach without perforating anything. You don't want to take an even bigger gamble. Like, I am not going to double down. If I just won a million dollars, I'm not going to be like, here's my million dollars back. Um, I'm going to double down and see if I get a trillion dollars. That is not going to happen. I'm going to take the million dollars, right? So you don't want to double down on that. You want to make sure that if you, if they have ingested a bone, that we just allow it to try to break down on its own, which 99% of the time they will. Most of the time, they're going to break down as long as the owners can follow some certain things. One, they should not have any antacids. So some people will want to give Pepsid to make their stomach feel better or give Pepto-Bismol to make their stomach feel better or Omiprazole, which is also Prilosec. They should not do that. They should just allow this, the acids of the stomach to be able to break down that bone. There are two schools of thought here. Some people say feed the dog bread so that that way it coats that bone. And so if it passes into the small intestines, that it is able to pass easily and doesn't um, create any problems, like it doesn't perforate through the intestines. There's that school of thought. And then there's the other school of thought. And that's going to be that you don't give them anything. 
Don't feed them for about 24 hours. It builds up a ton of that acid because they're they're starving, right? So their acid is being built up in their stomach and is more likely to be able to break down. So I am of the school of thought that it is better not to feed them and allow that bone to break down. Because if you have a bunch of bread packed around it, you can't ensure that it's packed in that area where that splintered piece is. And now that's given more stuff to just coat that bone and it's less likely to be broken down by the acid. So I would rather it be broken down by the acid than to have something coating it. So I said two schools of thought. Some people do the bread method. Some people don't. Neither way is necessarily wrong. It's just what that veterinarian is more comfortable with. So they called in, you know, right? Told them, don't, don't bring it down. We're not going to make them vomit. Just, you know, either feed them bread or don't feed them at all and then watch for any clinical signs. So they're going to want to watch for things like vomiting, diarrhea, and not wanting to eat. Any of those signs are going to be an indication that something is stuck, whether it's stuck in the stomach or stuck in the small intestines. So if it's stuck in the stomach, sometimes we can go in and do an endoscopy. So putting that camera down the throat into the stomach to be able to grab it out depending on how big the piece is. And really, we only need to do that if the dog is showing clinical signs. There's not really good indication to do it if the dog isn't showing any signs. If you just ate the bone, it's probably going to be okay. But if it starts showing signs, it's having vomiting, we take an x-ray and that piece is real big, they're probably going to want to do an endoscopy for it. Or the other way is to do a gastrotomy. So gastrotomy is an incision into the stomach. Uh, that's actually my preferred method. I have had multiple of them that I've tried to get out with the endoscopy and either they were too big because it's difficult to have them fit into the holes correctly, um, or that it was too mushy and you couldn't grab onto it. So ideally I prefer to do a gastrotomy, but doing a endoscopy is not wrong either. Now let's say it went from the stomach into the small intestines and got stuck. Now we have to do surgery. Our endoscopy can only go into the stomach and maybe a little bit into the duodenum. And that's the very first part of the small intestines. And even then we can't even see the whole duodenum. We can only see a very, very small part of it. So we have to go into surgery in that, if that's the case. So if we go into surgery and we take it out from the small intestines, that's called an enterotomy. And most of the time you just have to do an enterotomy, just one incision into the intestines where it's being blocked. It's usually okay. But uh, there are times when that bone gets stuck and it starts putting pressure on the small intestines and it makes that small intestines die off or necrose. So we have to take that bad piece of intestines out and suture two good pieces of intestines back together. That poses more risks than just an enterotomy. A single enterotomy, one incision into the intestines, you're suturing it up, it's usually not a big deal. But when we have to start taking tissue and putting two pieces back together, there is a higher chance that those areas are going to dehiss or come apart. And it has nothing to do with the way that the surgeon did the surgery or with the sutures. It's actually that dog's body just not being able to heal itself, heal to itself. And so about three to seven days after surgery, there's a chance that it's going to dehiss or come apart. 
It's not a big chance, but it's a, it's still there. It's still more than it would be uh, for an enterotomy. So, like I said, let's say get stuck in the small intestines. You know, we need to do surgery if that's the case. Lastly, it could get stuck in the colon as well. And it's pretty rare, but a lot of times it's because of pain and not being hydrated enough. So a lot of times you're giving them pain medication and we're also giving them enemas to try to help like lubricate it up so that they can move that past. Now let's say we've made it through into the stomach. Everything is digested. The other things that can potentially happen is they can get a pancreatitis from that. Uh, So we did that in a different podcast, but basically the pancreas becomes really inflamed and really angry that there's something that's really fatty in there. Because people don't think about bones being fatty, but the middle of the bone is bone marrow, which is fatty. I don't know if you've ever eaten bone marrow. Uh, It is delicious. It is very fatty. It tastes amazing. You should try it sometime. But if they eat that bone marrow and they eat too much, like it can cause their pancreas to be upset. The pancreas then makes the stomach upset, which causes that vomiting, not wanting to eat, and having diarrhea. And then also that in turn makes their abdomen really painful. So if I push on their abdomen right behind where the ribs are, a lot of times they're really painful in that area. So we can get a pancreatitis from it. And the other thing is sometimes those bones can be contaminated with bacteria. The most common time this happens is when they're like raw bones so they're, or they have raw meat on them. And that'll make them sick just the same way as pancreatitis does. But they'll get sick with like either E. coli or salmonella or listeria. The bigger concerns for this, oddly, is actually due to the people. We are more concerned about who's in the household when that happens uh, because these bacteria can, like the dog will will be able to fight them off on their own most of the time, especially when we do supportive care for them. But if you have kids in the house or you have um, like really immunocompromised people or you have like elderly people, like that can actually transfer to them. So let's say like the dog's having massive diarrhea, you're cleaning it up or the elderly person is cleaning up or you have the kids clean it up and they don't wash their hands well enough, uh, that can potentially transfer to them when they go to eat as well. And then they get really sick in turn. And for kids, like most of the time they'll be okay, but uh, they get really sick. And then this, but for elderly people who are immunocompromised, that could be deadly for them. So we had, you know, that, that is one thing to consider when people are talking about, like especially in GP, when they're like, hey, can I feed my dog bones um, or raw food diet? That's the only time, other time I talk to them about this is, do you have anybody in your house that is immunocompromised or any kids? If yes, then I would tell you don't do it. Don't feed the bones or raw bones. At least don't feed them any raw food diet because we're more concerned about the people in that situation and not as much as the dog. Most of the time, the dog will be able to, like I said, like get over those different types of bacteria. They'll usually like build up some sort of like, you know, kind of resistance to them. So it's not going to make them as sick each time. But uh, we do worry about those people, especially those immunocompromised people, because they can't do anything about that. They can't get over it. And unfortunately, they get really sick. So what if Carol's like in her GP appointment and she gets an owner that says, well, If I can't feed bones, if you won't let me feed bones, then what should I feed my dog? 
to help with their teeth. Well, there's lots of different like dental chews. There are rawhides that they can get. Uh, with the rawhides, you just want to try to get them thicker than the thinner ones. The thinner ones are easy to um, tear pieces off of, and then they'll swallow those. And I've had those get stuck on dog's esophagus before as well. So trying to do like something that's thicker or just do dental chews. Like they have greenies, but you got to make sure the greenie is for that dog. Like it's weight specific. Um, my wife's dog had had a greenie and I had, I only had like one in my car and I didn't even realize that I had it for my big dog and she ate the greenie. She was only eight pounds and my dog was 80 pounds. She ate the greenie without me knowing it when I was driving home from work. Cause at that point it was like a freaking crazy drive. Like it was so long I only had to go like from where I live now in Fredrickson to where to roughly about where I work right now. So it, well, it's like 25 minute drive. Normally it would take me two and a half hours on the 91. If anybody knows the 91 in Southern California, it is terrible. So it would take me two and a half hours to get to work and it would take me two and a half hours to get home from work. It was rough, but my dog or my wife's dog had eaten the bone in that period of time and she got the worst pancreatitis like so bad she had to be hospitalized given plasma transfusions and i thought she was gonna die luckily she did okay but it was pretty bad um so like i said if they're like hey what can i give my dog you know these are the things you can do you can do greenies you can do dental chews um do the rawhides thick rawhides things like that but what happens if they're like, well, I'm going to feed them bones regardless? I mean, that's their prerogative. And you know what? 99% of the time, they're going to do just fine. You know, like I said, you have Sarah's dogs that eat them all the time. They do just fine. No issues. Uh, Matza could probably eat them, but I just don't want to um, make Nora have diarrhea because Nora's just, she's a, she's a sensitive little soul. So, you know, it, if they do great with them, then great. No issues, just monitor for those clinical signs, monitor for choking, monitor for any vomiting, diarrhea, um, and then if they do great, then no problems. But if they don't, then we need to find some other alternative, or like small, small dogs. Uh, and like I said, I know brisket does well with them, but there are going to be most Pomeranians that cannot chew on those things. All right, well, I think that is going to be it for our bone ingestion. So if you guys have any questions, let me know, email me, uh, or catch me when I'm running by, and just let me know. I'm happy to talk to you guys about it. And then also, again, let me know if you have anything that you guys want to learn about. So if you've made it to the end of the podcast, then you know that I try to tell a story for each one. So today, I was going to tell you about my mom and the praying mantis. So when I was little, I would collect all sorts of animals, like I had uh, kangaroo rats and chipmunks, that's a whole other story, but chipmunks and an iguana and a chicken and all sorts of creatures in my room. I would always think that I was saving them, try to help them, and most of the time I was able to rehabilitate them and let them back out in the wild, but sometimes not. Uh, but my dad had gone hunting and he brought home a praying mantis and he'd gotten home before anybody was awake and he had put it into this container and he put it into the sink in the bathroom downstairs where where he would sleep 
And he had brought it home for me so that I would be able to have like this praying mantis. And my mom woke up and went into the bathroom to go to the bathroom and then went to go wash her hands. And apparently the praying mantis, like they're, they can like squish themselves into the tiniest areas. And my dad had just made these little air holes for it. So she, it like squished its way through the air holes and was just sitting inside the, um, the sink. And my mom freaked out like was screaming she was throwing things at it like soap and shampoo and like just was like throwing anything she could inside this sink because she was terrified of the praying mantis so my dad goes running in you know i go running downstairs and, and i was like what is happening are you okay i thought somebody was being murdered i thought like she was dying and all to come to find out was just, it's just over this praying mantis that my dad had brought home and that she didn't know that he had brought home and that she then tried to kill. I do remember, um, I do think it got injured if I remember correctly when she threw all that stuff at it. And then, um, they came to the agreement that they, sh that my dad has to tell my mom when he brings home some strange creature. Because uh, I do remember I didn't get to have the praying mantis. Something happened to it. Uh, I don't think it died that moment, but I think it was pretty injured, unfortunately. So moral of the story is make sure you tell your spouse if you're going to bring home a praying mantis. Thanks, guys. And I think that next week I'm going to be doing uh, just like the basics of when you get a puppy. Because lots of people are going to get Christmas puppies and um, they need to know what to do with them when they get them, how to handle them, because... Most of the time they've thought about getting the puppy and then didn't think about what we do after we get the puppy. All right. Thanks, guys.